that we have an interactive feature with Bible study and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com that's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study all one word you go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail and we'd love to hear from you could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Bible study. Glad you're here. Good to see you. Yeah. I'm going to take a few moments and pray, and then uh, let's see what God has to say. Let's pray. Father, thanks for a time, place, opportunity to meet. We thank you, God, for uh, your presence here. We know you're here. There were two or three gathered in your name, and we have gathered in the name of Jesus. You're here in our midst, and so we welcome you. We ask God that you lead us, you guide us. Pray you inspire us, breathe into us tonight. Pray God that we would receive life tonight. Ask you God that you would open our eyes and our ears to more of you. Our eyes and our ears to a deeper place with you. We ask God that you would speak, that you would teach, that you reveal. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be active tonight and for him to just be at work in us. Yes, Father, that uh, this would be a time where you glorify it. But in Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. If you have a Bible, why don't you open up to 1 Kings. 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 1. need a Bible, of course they're available on the table, so feel free to move around and grab one if you need one. If you prefer to look it on the printed page, that's okay. Sometimes I like to have some in my hand and look at it. Depends on my mood. So if you're in the mood for the printed page, grab one. First Kings chapter 1, and I need a volunteer to read verse 50. scripture because it talks about and the reason I picked it out was it talking about the horns of the altar and holding on to the horns of the altar 
you see that a number of times in the Old Testament where somebody would grab hold of the horns of the altar. Now, I want to say right off the bat, uh, it's a ploy. Right? That's why they did it. Because they're in big trouble, whoever it was grabbing the horns of the altar. They found themselves in some big trouble, and they would grab the horns of the altar in order to claim or make a claim of sanctuary. Sanctuary, yeah. You know, you ever see that in old movies? And people run into a church and they claim sanctuary? Well, this is a real thing. And it was recognized by the Gentiles. It was recognized by the Jewish people. And so the real thing about it was is that these people that were in such dire circumstance, they felt like their, their lives were in danger, could run into where the altar was and grab hold of the horns of the altar and claim sanctuary. And that's what happened here. So, uh, as we were talking about last week, Solomon had become king. And he was chosen to become king. Now, as we discussed, was he the firstborn? No. No. He wasn't the lastborn. He wasn't the firstborn. He was somewhere in the middle. Somewhere. And so, there, there were those that agreed with him becoming king and those that didn't agree with him becoming king. And the idea behind it was that, that he had been chosen by God. God said, okay, this is, this is my will, this is my purpose, this is my plan. Solomon should be king. And so Solomon was made king. And, and if you look any deeper than that, it's kind of hard to find anything else. I mean, to, to try and justify it. There, there's no other reason to justify it. It's like, what's, what's the good reason to do what God tells you to do? Because he said so. There's only one good reason. Right? There's a thousand reasons not to, only one good reason to do it. That's because he said so. So he had said so about Solomon becoming king, and that was good enough. And that's still good enough. And it's the one good reason. It's all he needed. So he became king. But not everybody agreed with that. Now, as we looked at it last week, Solomon had brothers, right? And at least one sister. And they were listed off, and we went through that list. Well, Adonijah was one of his brothers. And Adonijah was not happy, was not happy with Solomon becoming king. And so he actively opposed. Solomon becoming king, and he was vocal about it, and you can read back and see all the things and what he was involved with, but he was Solomon's brother, another son of David. And so, being unhappy with what was going on, he voiced his opinion, he let his opinion be known, and he did what he did, uh, but as it turned out, Solomon became king. And so, he immediately recognized the fact that he was in some bad circumstance. Because he, uh, he was opposing, actively opposing the king, who was the king now, his brother. And so, understanding that was understanding that he was in a position where he could lose his life. So the Bible tells us that uh, he went in and he grabbed the horns of the altar and he wouldn't let go. And in fact, to the point that he grabbed the horns of the altar and he wouldn't let go to the point he shut everything down. Whatever sacrifices were going on, 
whatever worship was going on, the schedule of the priest, the schedule of the, ta- of the tabernacle, the schedule of the altar, whatever it was that was happening, he shut it down because he wouldn't let go of the altar until Solomon pardoned it. And that was the only way he was going to let go. And I want you to think about that because people love their schedule, right? So if you got a bunch of priests that they got a schedule to keep, right? And so they, they're looking to keep the schedule. they got this guy hanging onto the horns of the altar, and he pretty much just shut down everything they were doing. And so they were, you know, it's time for the sacrifice. Can't do the sacrifice. Got a guy hanging onto the altar. All right, time for the, the worship. Well, we can't do that. We got a guy hanging onto the altar. We got a new shift change coming to priests. What do you want to do with them? I don't know. We got a guy hanging onto the altar. You kind of understand what I'm saying? That it, it upset the flow. It upset what was going on in the tabernacle. And and so that was that was bad news for people that were running things in the tabernacle. They just couldn't do what they needed to do because this guy, Adonijah, just grabbed hold of those horns and he wouldn't let go. And so what was supposed to happen didn't. The worship that was supposed to happen didn't. The sacrifices that were supposed to happen didn't. Whatever the special peace offerings that were brought in, they weren't made. Whatever the specific, uh, you look at, and it could be a bunch of different things, but you think about all the functions that took place in the tabernacle, when, some, when, a, when a newborn came along, there were functions that took place in the tabernacle. When people were drawing up a contract and they were agreeing on things, there were certain things that took place in the tabernacle. When somebody sinned and they wanted to bring forth the sin offering, there were certain things that took place in the tabernacle. There were wave offerings, there were thank offerings, there were all these things. It was the center of their society. He just shut it down. He just shut it down. One thing I learned over the years, I'm going to share this with you. Take it or leave it. Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. I'm just telling you. No matter what the consequences are, you got to do what you got to do. And this guy, he had to do what he had to do. And he did it. And and I, I want to say that because sometimes, and, and I've let this happen in my life, I've let moments pass in my life. It shouldn't have passed. Because I didn't want to upset the apple cart. Mm-hmm. I let moments pass in my life because I didn't want to shut things down. I didn't want to impose. I didn't want to put myself in that position. And there's some of you here like that, and I want to try to help you see something here tonight. And that is sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. And I want to encourage you to do it. But the times that I have upset the apple cart, and the times that I have brought things to a stop, and the things that I have imposed have been powerful times in my life and in the life of other people. And sometimes we just need to do it. And so I encourage you toward that. I do. I encourage you toward it. I encourage you to take it a stand. I encourage you to, to do something courageous. I encourage you to, to, to step up and to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. I encourage you toward that. And I hope you can hear me, and I hope you can take me up on that. 
that that you would you would do it, no matter who's upset, no matter who's angry about it or whatever. Because like I said, this guy grabs hold of the horn of the altar. I mean, the priests were upset. Levites probably upset. People wanted to get on what they were doing, probably upset. You got people out there waiting to their turn to do what needs to be done at the tabernacle. I'm sure they were upset. But this guy had to do what he had to do. So, what were the horns of the altar? Okay, so I was just talking about that. They were projections. Uh, they, they come out the corners of the altar, and they were what the sacrifices were bound to that were made. They were projections from it. They were horns. Look at a few verses. Psalm 118.27. Psalm 118.27. So I want to read that. Psalm 118.27. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. Find the festival sacrifice of cords up to the horns of the altar. Yeah, so there's a verse that says that sacrifices are bound to the horns of the altar. Alright. I feel better about that now. I didn't just say it. <laughs> now you're right. Okay, another thing is that uh, on those projections on the horns, the Bible tells us blood was sprinkled on them. Somebody look at Exodus 29.12. Exodus 29.12 Take some of the bull's blood and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour out the rest of it at the base of the altar. Alright. So the blood was put on the horns of the altar. They were cleansed. That was symbolic of them being cleansed. Of them being sanctified. Now, Solomon's brother, like I said, wasn't too happy with the choice of Solomon being king. Now, now fast forward a little bit in your mind to Jesus. I want you to see Jesus like you're looking through a telescope. And we got this situation we're looking at straight on with Solomon, his brother, his brothers rebellion against him, and the consequences of that rebellion. That's what we're looking at. But I want you to take a telescope and look uh, into the future from there, which is our past. And look to Jesus. And understand Jesus as the Son of David, the Son of God. Understand Jesus as exalted to the throne of glory. But did everybody agree with Jesus? Everybody like Jesus? No. 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 In fact, most of the religious leaders of the day, most of the people that everybody looked to and said these are the spiritual people of the day, didn't like Jesus. They didn't like him. They didn't like what he stood for. They didn't like what he said. They didn't like the things he was doing. They didn't like how he was doing it. Don't fool yourself that everybody loves Jesus. Don't. And don't let people lie to you about that. Don't let people lie to you about, oh, you call yourself a Christian? Yeah, everybody hates me. Yep. Or whatever it is they're trying to tell you. Because those are the lies of the enemy. I'm telling you, Jesus was, at the end, not that popular. 
Right? He had plenty of people that didn't agree with him. He had plenty of people that didn't think he was who he said he was. Plenty of people didn't believe he was the Messiah. Plenty of people didn't think he was the Son of God. Plenty. In fact, they thought every time he said that, he was blaspheming. That's what they believed. These are the people that ran through the crowd and had them demand Barabbas instead of Jesus, sending him to the cross, sending him to be tortured. And the crowd of people going along with us, give us Barabbas, we don't even know who Jesus is. Yeah, that was Jesus' last crowd he stood in front of. They screamed for a guy who was a criminal over him, rejected him, and sent him to be tortured and killed. So, let, let's not be confused about this. There were those that opposed him. There were those that didn't believe that he was the right guy. There were those that didn't believe his claims. There were those that didn't believe what he had to say. They didn't like how he did things or how he looked or how he talked or whatever it was. They just didn't like it. So they rejected him. That's his life. That's his life. And why is that important to you? I mean, think about that for a second. Why is that important to us? Why we got the telescope out? We're talking about Solomon and his brother. Why are we looking at Jesus? Why is this important to who we are? Why do you need to understand that? That not everyone likes Jesus. Alright, why? You tell me. Because everybody's not going like to like you. And everybody's not going to agree with you. And everybody's not going to think that you are who you say you are. And not everybody's going to think that you do here what you do here. Not everybody's going to think that you're a good representative of Jesus. They're not. And that's just the way it goes. They didn't think Jesus was a good representative of Jesus. <laughs> you got no hope for that universal agreement over your life. You're, yeah, no. Universal popularity. No. Everybody's on your side. They're not. Everybody's pulling for you. They're not. They're not. You identify yourself with Jesus as a Christian. You are Christ-like. And people judge Jesus as wrong and bad and evil. And you can say, oh, well, you know, he lived a sinless life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He did? But not everyone thought that. That was not universally agreed upon. Otherwise, they wouldn't have killed him, would they? You follow me? I think sometimes we, we miss that. How you miss that? They killed him. Did you miss that? You know, it wasn't just the, the nobodies that killed him. It was the religious leaders that killed him. You want to you hook your horse up to the religious wagon? Go ahead. Be careful. You better ride backwards. <laughs> I had my time with those jackals. I'm telling you. I got sick of looking over my shoulder all the time. 
You don't like how I do things. You don't like how I say it. You don't like the way I look, the way I sound. You don't like any of that? I get it. I get it. I just kind of feel good I'm in some good company with that. And so are you. And so we look ahead with our little telescope toward Jesus and we begin to see some things that we might be able to pull back and say, this is just the way people are. I mean, Solomon, chosen by God, put in place by God, one of his own brothers tries to get rid of him. Gets caught and then grabs hold of the horns of the altar. That's what happened. Now, as I said before, to take hold of the horns of the altar was to claim sanctuary. But it's kind of interesting. Somebody look at uh, Exodus 21.14. Exodus 21.14. Kind of interesting that... um, that right of sanctuary was denied to certain types of people. Murderers. I mean, by law, it was denied to murderers. And there are others that are included in the list. But I want you to read uh, Exodus 21 14. But if any of the kings and children summoned deliberately, that person is to be taken from my altar and put to death. Alright. Now, here's an example in the scripture of someone. And then this is why it's mentioned in the law. Somebody who killed somebody on purpose, another murderer. But they went and they grabbed all the horns of the altar. Did you follow that in the verse? And it said, take him off the altar and take care of it. Alright, and that was it. And so the claim to sanctuary was not absolute. And there were people in the Old Testament that grabbed all the horns of the altar that were killed anyway. And there were there were specific exceptions. One exception here in Exodus 14 that if you're a murderer, you can't do that. You can't just grab the horns of the altar and everything's going to be okay. And so we know it's not an absolute protection. It's not an absolute grace. It's not an absolute. Well, this is oh oh sanctuary. It's not absolute. It's not. And so, why did why do you think Solomon's brother grabbed the horns of the altar? What was driving? What drove him to the altar? Grabbed the horns of the altar. Fear. 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 Right. It wasn't. A, he didn't all of a sudden fall in love with Solomon. <laughs> he didn't all of a sudden fall in love with the idea of Solomon being king. That's not what happened. He got afraid. He got scared. And so he went. And he grabbed hold of the horns of the altar. Now, this is by custom. He did that. Custom. Hmm. What do we know about customs? They can be meaningless. What else do we know? They were probably at one time rooted in some kind of meaning, but they can become meaningless. What else do you know about customs? No. 
They, they're, they're agreed upon by a, a certain segment of society or society. Right. They are man-made. What else do you know about them? They can be, until they're not. Which tells you what about customs? Are they absolute all the time? No, they can change. And what has been recognized as a custom for, it could be hundreds of years, may no longer be recognized anymore. Now, for example, and this is kind of a weird one because it's temporary, maybe, but since the advent of COVID-19, what's one custom people don't do as much anymore? They can. We have a custom in our society. It's been, it's been a custom for hundreds of years is that when we greet people, we shake their hand. All right. Today, I was uh, at the gym, and there's a new person at the gym that they just took on staff. And so I hadn't given the greeting over our listserv chat thingy. So I decided, well, I'm right here. So I'm just going to go say hi, introduce myself. So I walked over with a mask on, introduced myself, and I put my hand out just to offer it. And the girl looked at my hand, looked at me, she's like, I guess I'll shake your hand. And shook my hand. I'm like, oh, thank you. You're a peach. <laughs> Considering there's some uh, antibacterial sitting right there, lather, slather up, all right? So how quickly can customs change? Yeah, a matter of days or months. Sure. Sure. And so, to depend on a custom, think that's a good bet? No. No. I don't think I'm going to throw my eggs into the custom basket. Because you never know when it's going to change, and you never know what the feeling of somebody is, and you never know what's actually going to happen. But here they were. If I custom, what does this guy do out of fear? He runs into the tabernacle and he grabs the horns of the altar. Now, the horns of the altar are symbols of grace and salvation. That's what they're symbols of. Great. So we got a custom, and we got symbols. But customs and symbols, they don't save us. They don't. They do not save us. And you can look at it, you can say, well, he's doing the... The altar thing, he's claiming sanctuary, right? Okay, good, good. That, that, those are symbols of, of grace and salvation. Excellent. But we know people that grab the horns of the altar have been killed in the past. So is it absolute? No. No. So why do we treat it that way? Why? Yeah, we want something, we want something physical. So we can feel safe. Why do you think the silly things that people do for religious purposes still exist? People feel safer because they have something physical to do. Alright? You know, forgive me, I have sinned. I'll do three of these and ten of those and everything will be okay. Oh, really? 
don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think that works. And I don't think a lot of stuff works like that. I don't, think, I don't care if it's, if it's this church, that church, that denomination, or whatever it was. I don't think those symbols work. They look right. They sound right. It's the right word. It doesn't mean it works. Or, or that action that you take, wow, that was a real act of contrition there. Yeah? Did that work? No! But I feel better after I do it. Well, good. Doesn't mean it works. Just means you feel better. And so you got this guy, guilty of rebellion, and you got this fear that he had driving him to the altar. I wrote my notes after that. Was that really a place of safety? No. No, because Solomon could have had him killed. Ultimately, whose decision, whose grace, and whose mercy came down and won the day? It was Solomon. It was Solomon that spared his life with conditions. Take just a little telescope out. Let's look ahead. And let's look at Jesus. Ultimately, our lives are in the hands of Jesus. Ultimately. That's what matters. All of these symbols are symbols. Do you ever notice our church didn't have a lot of symbols? You know, and probably we don't notice it anymore because... They're not there, and if you were here from the beginning, and let's say you didn't come out of a religious background, you probably never noticed. It didn't even occur to you that there are a bunch of symbols up in the church. There's not. But you go to the average church, you're going to see some symbols. Right? You might see a cross. Depending on what kind of church it is, you might see an empty cross, or you might see a crucifix, or you might see... The Greek letters chi and rho, they look like an X and a P. It's chi rho, that's, that's the beginning of Christ. Get it? Okay. So that's the symbol for that. Or there could be any number of symbols that would be in a church, because that's what we've done. That's what we've done. That we have begun and, and continued in this process of finding symbols so that we can feel better about it. And I reject that. If I'm not hearing from Jesus and I'm not experiencing his presence, I don't feel good about it at all. If I gotta look at something on the wall, in order to feel the presence of God, I don't feel good about that at all. Not even a little bit. And so, we look in our telescope toward Jesus, and we see a person, a real person. And we see Him, that he, he is our safety, He is our peace, He is our joy, He is, he, he is forgiveness and 
He is great. He's cleansing. He's all of those things. But it's Him. It's the person of Jesus in our life. It's not the symbol. It's not the structure. It's not the thing that we're grabbing hold of. It's Him. And even as this is being illustrated way back in the Old Testament, even as this is being illustrated between this, this, this brother and these two brothers there, we got this brother grabbing onto these physical things, but those physical things aren't going to save him. You got this brother that is, is in the right place at the right time, trying out of fear, trying to save his own life, the symbols of grace and salvation, but they're not grace and salvation. The grace that was going to be shown to him would be shown through his brother Solomon. The one that was going to save him from death was going to be his brother Solomon. Looking ahead, we only have salvation and grace through our brother Jesus. That's it. And if we're, and if we're filling our hearts and filling our minds with these symbols, we're really, really missing the point. And I want to encourage you away from that. You know, you know they've even just taken the Bible and made that a symbol? You know that? Yeah. I pledge allegiance to the Bible. God's holy word. Anybody ever hear this? Yes. Yeah, they, they pledge allegiance to the Bible. Pledge no allegiance to the Bible? I'm, a, I'm aligned with Jesus. I'm bound to Jesus. I mean, I learned all kinds of things speaking at chapel services in Christian schools. All kinds of weird stuff, too. I was there, you know, going in the morning to speak at the chapel service, and I'd see some of their, the stuff that they did on a regular basis. Like some of their, their little things they did, and some of their customs that they had, and some of the, the forms of stuff that they did. And, and it was disturbing. And these were schools that we're part of full gospel. In other words, spirit-filled, Holy Spirit-filled people in their churches. And this is who they were. And this is what they had fallen into. And, and you say, oh, you're just judging them. Am I? I don't care what they do. I'm just disturbed by it. Like, what? Is this what we're teaching our generations? Apparently. Is this all we have left? Apparently. And so I wrote a question here. Back to Solomon. And his brother. Adonis. Is, was he really in a place of safety? That was the question I had. Is this a place of safety? And the answer was no. God is our refuge. God is our safety. God is our shelter, our protection from danger, from trouble. He is our aid, our relief, and our escape. Somebody look at Psalm 46 1. Psalm 46 1. Times are refused in strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. Alright. 
Is, is that clear? Mm-hmm. No, really. I mean, is that a clear statement? I think it's a clear statement. Then why can't we just believe that? And I know you think I'm pounding this into the ground and it doesn't, you know, this isn't us, you know, this isn't me. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Are you positive? Because I sure have seen a bunch of this stuff with some of you. I've seen some of this stuff in people's cars. I've seen some of this stuff in people's houses. You sure? Maybe. Somebody else, look at, uh, let's go to New Testament. Romans 8.28. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, whether called according to His purpose. Alright. So no matter what our situation, no matter what our circumstance, no matter what it looks like in all things, what thing is not included in all things? <laughs> what thing? Nothing. No thing, right. Nothing. No thing. Follow me. So in all things, meaning there's no exception to this, God is working for our good. We know that. That's what he said. He's working for our good in every circumstance, every situation. Well, Andy, how's how's he going to redeem this one? I don't know. That's his business. I'll tell him his business. I just know he's doing it. But he said so. He told me that. He told you that. He told us that. Philippians 4 7. <coughs> Philippians 4 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right. So, because we're prone to a lack of faith, and we find ourselves in some bad situations, even though God said He works all things together for good in every circumstance and in every situation, He already said He's our refuge and He's our strength. He's already told us that He's looking out for us, and He has all good things for us. We find ourselves in bad situations, and we begin to worry, and we begin to allow fear to creep in. So, what does he provide for us? He says that, what? He will guard our heart, and guard our mind in Christ Jesus. In other words, he will set a guard up around it, in case the enemy attacks. In case the enemy comes in with doubt and fear. And the enemy comes in and tries to tell us something that isn't true, or the enemy comes in and tries to to get us, to get our focus away from Jesus, or get our focus away from God. And so he's already made provision for us to not have really good attention spans. He's made provision for us to, to be distracted. He's made provision for us to not walk in faith 100% of the time, which we don't. So he made provision for that by setting up a guard around our heart and setting up a guard around our mind to keep us safe. 
So he's our refuge, he's our strength, he's working things out on our behalf in every single circumstance, good, bad, positive, negative of our life. He's working things out, he's doing the work that's necessary to work it out for our good, and then because we have a hard time seeing beyond the present circumstance, he sets a guard around our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus so we can stay steadfast. Nice? Pretty good deal, right? I think so. Another verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Alright, so not only does he work things out that he's actively involved in our everyday life and in everyday circumstances working things out for our good, he is also putting a guard around our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. To, to keep us from freaking out, and he's doing a work in us to grow us and make us stronger. So we can be stronger tomorrow than we were today. So when we face this circumstance again, we can be stronger in the future than we were today. So he's doing that too. So he's concerned about us getting things, he's concerned about working things out for our good, he's doing that He's concerned about keeping us in peace. He's guarding our heart and mind. He's doing that. And he's changing us and making us stronger moving forward so that we live a stronger and more productive life moving ahead. Awesome. All that without customs. There's no customs to that. In other words, you don't have to jump through a hoop to get that. You don't have to stand on your head to get that. You don't have to rub your tummy and pat your head at the same time to get that. None of those things. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to talk a certain way. You don't have to wear a special hat. You don't. There's no custom to it. It's what's provided for us. For you, right here, right now, just like you are. That's what's provided for you. And then don't don't, don't underestimate the power of those lies that I just made fun of. Do not underestimate the power of those lies. Because they were telling you the whole time you were growing up that you needed to do X, Y, and Z or you get nothing! <laughs> and you will like it. And so you live your life. You, you're living your life always. What do I need to do now? What do I need to do next? What am I going to do? How am I going to do this? Oh. Yeah, because that's what was programmed into you, you little robot. <laughs> Don't underestimate the power of that. That's brainwashing 101. But I believe Jesus can set us free. But there's no custom to what he offers us, there's no form. And what I mean by form, you know what I mean by form. There's no form to that. In other words, it's not, a, it's not three steps, five steps, seven steps, twelve steps, not anything like that. 
it's just offered. It is what it is. You don't have to pray a special prayer. You know, we're living in the age of the evangelical age. You know, coming into the, the, the 21st century, we were in the evangelical age. And and so, we were telling people, salvation is free, it's the free gift of God. If you just believe, just pray and ask Jesus into your heart. What's the first thing we did with that one? Okay, alright, repeat after me. We created a prayer form so that people could freely receive Jesus and ask him into their heart. Because that's way too complicated to have somebody just do that. So, repeat after me. And we'll print it out. And it'll be exactly the same every single time. And it comes to a point it's like, well, did you pray the prayer? Well, I don't know if you're saved or not. When did you pray the prayer? You said every word. Did you say amen at the end? Okay. You sure you said every word? Alright. Alright. Okay, good. Yeah, so we took something free something given, something just poured out in revelation as a church. A revelation. Seriously. Like in the 40s and 50s, back in the 1940s, 1950s, they had a serious revelation. Even evangelist revelation of how people come to know Jesus. Serious revelation about it, and then turn it into a form. Pray this repeat after me. Messed up. It's messed up. All of it. All of it's messed up because there is no form. There is no custom. There is no pretense. None. And if somebody's listening to this and they don't like what I'm saying, they probably figure I got a special place in hell reserved for me for me to come prayer. Maybe I do. I don't know. I don't care at this point. I don't believe that. But what I'm trying to tell you is that these forms and these pretenses and, and all of these customs, they stand in the way of the person of Jesus in our life and who he wants to be. That's the point. That's the real point. Is that we don't want anything between us and Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. There's no there's no form and there's no pretense. And, and there's none of that in between us. There's no custom in between us. None. The only thing we need, I'll give you two words right now. The first word is faith. The first word is faith. Well, what does that mean? What do I have to do? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> what do you mean, what do you have to do? Uh, believe. Okay, what does that look like? Mm. What's that mean? What does it look like? Why do you step on an elevator? Why do you get on an airplane? Why do you step out into a crosswalk and walk across the street? That's dangerous. It is. But you got a certain level of faith. What's faith look like? Well, it's action. It's action. Get to it. Get to life. 
Jesus, that's faith. That's faith. We get the life in Jesus. That's the first word. Second word I got for you is a dirty word. Dirty. <laughs> really dirty. <laughs> it's submission. Faith and submission. It's where we do what he it's that part where we do what he says. We don't always like it. We don't always prefer it. We don't always even seek it out. Because sometimes doing what he tells us to do is hard. Really, really hard. Sometimes doing what he tells us to do doesn't make any sense. Yep. Sometimes doing what he tells us to do that's not the first thing we'd have done. Yeah. That's right. That's just because you're not Jesus or God or nothing. We are who we are. So if we want to live the way that God calls us to live, we want to live in, in the way that God has provided for us, it, it requires, it doesn't require like the right form or it doesn't require the right custom or the right pretense. What he's really looking for is you and me. Have some faith and to live our lives based on the relationship that we have with Jesus and to give ourselves over willingly to his will and his purposes for our lives. And anything else is created, is created, is created to relieve us of that burden. It's created by people who don't really want to believe and who definitely don't want to submit. And so they make up a form or they make up a custom or they make up some kind of a pretense to make themselves feel better about just not believing and just not doing as well. Well, I can feel okay about it now. I, I do X, Y, and Z. Except for nobody in heaven cares about X, Y, and Z. Only you do. I'm to the place in my life where I just really believe, even with all our faults, and all our messing up, and all our disobedience, heaven's a lot happier with you when you're just doing your best and living your life for Jesus than he is in jumping through some religious hoops that never go anywhere. I think he'll take the mistakes and he'll take the failures and he'll take the, the, the miscues and he'll take the I don't knows and he'll take the selfishness every now and then or whatever crop up in your heart and in your mind or whatever it is, he'll take all of those things from a life that really, really just wants to be with him. And wants to submit to him. But I never said you'd be perfect. What he's looking for is a people that's willing. He gives us a real refuge. He gives us a real safety. And we read those verses about how he's looking out for us, wants the best for us, takes every circumstance in our life, how much more safe would we be? 
He takes every circumstance in our life and he turns it to our good. How much safer could you possibly be? He guards your heart and your mind for you when you get distracted and you get off course a little bit in your spirit or in your in your mind or whatever it is. He, he guards that for you. He keeps you from going off the deep end and anxiety and fear. I mean, he's guarding it. He's actively guarding against the enemy. And then he's making you stronger so tomorrow is better than today. How much more, how much more safety, how much more security do we need than that? And that's not even taking into account eternity. I'm just saying here and now. What do you want? Faith and submission. And all I can ask, are you willing? Are you willing? So I'll take a few moments and respond. Start where you're at. You just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit maybe pull at some things in your heart, your life. I'm not trying to shame anybody tonight. I just want you to feel get free. That's all. And I feel the best way to go about that is to speak directly. Directly. What needs to be spoken to. Because there's freedom right here and right now. Why continue to walk in bondage? Why continue to walk in deception? Jesus is here. And he's real. He's real. I just encourage you to respond to him. You respond to him. Faith. Submission. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your safety. Thanks for being our refuge. Thanks for looking out for us every day, under every circumstance. Thanks for protecting us, putting a guard around us. And I thank you, God, that you have an interest in us growing and becoming stronger and better. So thanks for that. that we can lay down some lives tonight and pick up some simple truth. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Pray, Lord, that we would find ourselves a little bit deeper and a little bit closer 
in you tonight. We give us thanks for loving us so much and taking care of us. We give you thanks for protecting us. We give you thanks for your provision in our lives. Safety, our refuge. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's be best saying, Amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. Yeah, see, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.